Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Recently, I had the pleasure of reading a wonderful new novel. It's by Pip Williams, and it's called The Dictionary of Lost Words. It's set on the backdrop of the creation of the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. And the story follows a remarkable protagonist. She is the daughter of a renowned scholar who emerges as a significant linguist in her own right. You see, as she works with the words, she begins to realize that the criteria for word selection disproportionately excluded some language. And these were words that were used by the working class, women, by the poor. Words like bondmaid, this girl who is in lifelong service, Words like morbs, which is a temporary sadness and a word that I wish we still had around. All these words were kept out of the dictionary, even though these lost words had important meanings, carrying truth that was not found in other words and definitions. But this elite academic process of selection kept some words out. So, Our heroine gathers the lost words from the margins, prints them clandestinely, and finally offers an alternative, history of the English language. It's a smaller dictionary for sure, but it is one that's filled with important information. Now, a hypothetical church words dictionary would be weighty and substantial. The lexicon of the church is solid, encompassing a vast array of words that have been used for centuries, for millennia. Terms like narthex, liturgy, chancel, they've stood the test of time. Seated from ancient languages like Greek or Hebrew and Latin. However, despite the abundance of recorded church words, There are certain terms that have been overlooked. You all have heard me talking about being nun young, right? Do you remember this? It's the term I learned at the monastery, and it's a phrase that's been coined to describe the aging population of the church, particularly within monastic traditions. It's a lighthearted acknowledgement that you are relatively youthful when compared to the aging demographic of your fellow congregants. In a sentence, it sounds like this. Jamie knew that mid-40s was middle-aged in most situations, but she worked in a church, and so she enjoyed the benefits of being none young. (laughs) Now, It's a shame that none young hasn't made its way into our denominational materials and promotional writings. 
It's a lighthearted word, it's jovial, but it's a needed one too, because it highlights the challenges and the changes that the church is facing in the modern era. And this word, it describes a situation that few other church words can. And there is another word that I have felt compelled to introduce to you. It's a word that is absent from approved ecclesial materials. Although, as I mentioned, when I printed it for publicity this month, many of you shared this image on Facebook or responded to me to say that you were excited to talk about this. So I suppose even though it's not a word that's uttered often within an approved setting, it's a word that really struck a chord with many of you. And that word is church hurt. Not hurt, but church hurt. And it's a noun, but it can be used, I think, as an adverb, an adjective, even a verb. And the first definition of church hurt is pain inflicted by the church. Now, this type of church hurt, it's not necessarily intentional, but it's difficult, especially because it happens within the context of the faith community. This type of hurt can be deeply painful. It's a situation where the very place that is meant to provide solace and support and spiritual nourishment becomes a source of pain and disappointment. It's a feeling of being let down and it can come from a lack of genuine care. There are many examples of this type of church hurt and I'm sure we all could share some but the best example I have of this type of church hurt is found in the timing of the tithing letter. And yes, you are going to be getting one soon. Uh, it church hurts terribly if the only time you hear from your congregation is when they want money. Maybe this is something that's happened to you. You've been grieving over the death of a loved one or dealing with your own illness and instead of support or meal trains or prayers, you get a letter in the mail from the pastor asking for contributions. Okay, that doesn't just hurt, that church hurts. You know what I mean here. Now I will say that this type of situational and often unintentional church hurt, painful as it is, can be balanced over time because the pain is attached to your expectations of what a church should be, a loving and caring environment. And it often, if given the chance, if addressed forthrightly, this church hurt may be touched by church wholeness, by church healing. That's another special word. That's an entry for another day. Because really, the type of church hurt that I want to talk about is the second definition that I have on my card there, and it is more problematic. It is the injury inflicted by an ecclesial body, especially for the furtherance of its purpose. Here are some recent examples and sentences that illustrate the usage of the word. 
When the elders told my father to leave because of his alcoholism and my parents' divorce, it church hurt our whole family. I have had panic attacks in worship recently because of the church hurt around my sexuality. When I was told I couldn't be in leadership because I am a woman, it church hurt my soul. When the Methodist churches split over the issues of the LGBTQIA communities, I church hurt all over again, even though I'm Presbyterian. In her book, Gathering Those Driven Away, Wendy Farley says this, the world is full to overflowing with pain. It is a relentless source of dismay for a person of faith to struggle with the omnipresence of radical and destructive suffering. And it is particularly wounding for abuse to come from the church and to be justified by scripture and traditions. It is, breathe deep, it is a kind of toxic and crushing pain that is hard to endure. Because that church hurt puts people on the margins and it claims a perfection for the institution that it cannot possess and a dominion that it does not have. We come by church hurt naturally, though. It's been with us, at least, Wendy Farley points out, as an example among many, but since the late 300s with the creation of the Nicene Creed. That's when Bishop Athanasius battled heretics. But first he had to create the heretics. And then he seized people's properties and he imprisoned dissident voices all in the name of a uniformed confession around Christ. His main opponent was another Christian teacher named Arius. Now Farley explains that Arius was this guru-style teacher, a teacher who empowered his followers, and his followers were full of the outcast, widows, the contemplatives, the poor, the virgins. And Arius's approach to the divine was to enable others to participate in the sacred through ascetic practices, through contemplative disciplines. However, this was threatening to the established church. Athanasius felt that it was the institution, the institution, which should offer absolution, that the populace was depraved, that the populist would come to the church to be forgiven. So this idea that Arius followers who were a ragtag bunch of people, that they could gain access to some sort of authority, that they could find forgiveness and peace on their own simply by the lifestyle that they led 
one of prayer, one of service, one of contemplation, that was a little too much. That was outrageous. So Athanasius declared them heretics, flexed his strength. Now, some contemporaries called him a gangster because he used force. But others said he was a saint and a martyr for his unwavering opposition to this heresy. Either way, his words, this theology, his approach to the institution that became standard, we still say the Nicene Creed today. It's one of the confessions affirmed by the Presbyterian denomination, by the Reformed faith, and the others, Arius and his ascetics, his virgins and widows and contemplatives, they were confined to monasteries which were themselves brought under the authority of the bishops, or they were separated from the public sphere to be silent, to be quiet, ideally to be submissive. So thinking of our history, it's no wonder that this word, this church hurt by the institution, for the institution, is rarely uttered in church circles. And to be honest, it's unlikely to be offered from many pulpits as well. But it is a word that is there. It is a word that is offered in hushed tones and shared in private conversations. It's a word that is poured out in tears and grief and blurted out in anger. This church hurt, it targets and harms people on the margin through a rhetoric of division that inflicts pain with a logic of domination for the preservation of the institution. It is bad and we believe it is a word that deserves recognition from the church. I will say one of the things that I like to do on my days off is to flip through the TV and see what recent documentaries are unveiling the problems of the church. <laughs> sometimes I can't watch them, but sometimes I feel like it's homework. And I suppose it is one of the good things about the loss of the traditional power of the institutional church in modern American society that these stories of those on the margin are more easily seen and heard. There's documentaries on Netflix, the most popular podcasts and Apple Media, books like Wendy's and more. But it's not just the outside media that should be airing these stories and raising these voices, the church can speak about church hurt in our lives as well. It turns out we come to this hope from the margins, speaking out from the margins, it turns out we come by that honestly too. Do you remember? the very first preachers of the gospel good news of the resurrection, do you remember who they were? They were the women. Not just any women, but they were women with sexuality that was 
run amok. They were women whose sons had caused so much trouble that they were murdered by the state. They were women who were given the word to go back to the disciples and to preach the resurrection. And do you remember, at least in Luke's gospel, what happened next? How the word of the resurrection, it fell on deaf ears. The apostles, they said, it is an idle tale which they would not believe, but yet it was an important word, a word from the margins. It was an important word, a word of resurrection. It was an important word that was shouted out with joy from the mountaintops anyway. From the very beginning, God gathered those that were driven away. So Wendy Farley, again, she concludes with this. When we are on the margins, we are in the disorienting situation of being embedded in a religious community that trains us to despise the very thing that our beloved created us to be. Yet, the story of the Christian faith is the story of the incarnation and love made contextual, God made human, the divine and fleshed by definition, it does not withdraw us to a narrow and singular religion that is alone true, but rather witnesses to the grandeur of the divine everywhere in nature and in history. To close, I'll end with the story of my first new member class here. And there was in that room that was gathered there that day, the possibility to tell stories of church hurt. Folks who had been shunned for one reason or another, people who had been left out, people who had experienced the nastiness of church splits. And I'll never forget how proud I was of them, just to try it again how much courage it takes, how carefully we pray, how in awe I was of this gospel, the gospel that is good news. Even when the church hurts, the gospel that sticks, even in the pain, the gospel, the good news that has been given to us to share. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.